Hi, and welcome to the Burning Ones podcast. Our desire is to see people all around the world burn for one name, Jesus. We pray that you experience the love and power of Him through this journey. Thank you for joining us, and may burning witnesses arise. All right, if you have a Bible, you can grab it and open it up. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 6. We've been in Daniel for the past couple of weeks. As a matter of fact, we've been somewhere in Daniel for the past couple of months. Um, And I would say that Daniel has shaped much of the quarantine season for us as we have been jumping on and tracking this way. As we do that, we are embarking tomorrow on a 40-day fast prior to our convocation that we are hosting in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which happens to be just a couple of weeks right before the national election. Uh, You are very aware that we are in an election season. You are also very aware that we are living in unprecedented times. Uh, You are very aware that we are in the midst of an extraordinary season in our nation. And the influence of such and the things that happen in this season, I believe, are going to chart uh, the next generation and decades to come for what the experience of America is going to be. I would like to encourage you and invite you to join the fast. September 2nd to October 11th, 40 days that we believe with all of our hearts could potentially shape the destiny and the direction of America as we know it. I believe that much is hanging in the balance over these next 40 days. Some things are not guarantees. Um, At times, it requires participation in order for the Lord's purposes to be fulfilled. Consider it, if you would, if my people will humble themselves and pray, then I will hear from heaven. Um, I believe that this next season, these next 40 days, belongs to the intercessors. Um, We are going to jump into that in just a moment as we get into the life of Daniel. Um, We have protesters, but where are the intercessors? We have aggravators and agitators, but where are the intercessors? We have complainers. Um, We have social media influencers. Um, We have political narrators. But where are the intercessors? I believe that the victory in this nation, in this season, is there a public responsibility that should be taken up? Absolutely. But the public responsibility is never to eclipse or to bypass the secret place, accountability. I'm asking you to join us on the fast. You can go to burningones.org slash join the fast. You can register to join us. The only reason that you would go on the website and sign up is because we've created a way in order for us to do it together. Those of you that are going to join us from all around the world, we are trying to make the world a much smaller place so that we can link arms, knit our hearts together, and in a united effort, give our attention, 
our affection and our appetites over to Jesus as King. And so the only reason that you would jump on the website and sign up is because we are going to create a guided experience over the next 40 days. Uh, there's going to be information that is distributed to you, whether that be through email and a variety of other ways that we are going to try to communicate certain things, whether that be prayer points, whether that be devotional content, whether that be practical insights and helpful material, whether that be video encouragements and exhortations so that we together, again, in a united effort, can really link arms and knit our hearts. And as a tribe, as a community of consecrated lovers, we can give an excellent yes to the Lord. And over these 40 days, we can see his image formed in us and see his purposes fulfilled throughout the nations of the earth. Um, would you join us? Well, how can I join you? Let the Lord speak to you. I know it's the day before, but you really don't need to know exactly what you're doing until it's time to begin. Uh, I understand that some of us are way more administrative than that. Some of us are way more planned than that. Some of us like to understand things way far out so that we can do our due diligence and things of that nature. However, you really, in all honesty, don't really have to know what it is that you're doing until you get up tomorrow and you're getting started. Uh, and so what I mean by that is if the Lord has not clearly spoken to you in a way where you can enter into the fast with confidence to know what is it that I'm going to do, uh, because there are a variety of things that you can do in order to join the fast. It's not a one size fits all. It's not a copy and paste. It's not some sort of manipulated effort in order to try to get you to do a specific thing. Is there times for that where we believe that the Lord with clarity is inviting us into a particular design? Sure. Sure, and when that happens, we want to discern his voice. We want to be diligent to obey. We want to receive the grace in order to fulfill the invitation, and we want to honor the Lord in a particular season as we abide by a particular design. Uh, but for these next 40 days, let the Lord speak to you. And whatever you feel he speaks to you, let the smile of God over the place of your obedience to him be enough. Don't try to make it more. Don't try to make it less. Receive grace to do exactly what you know the Lord is saying to do. And whether that be one meal a day, whether that be a sunup to sundown, whether that be a Daniel type fast, whether that be a fast that's just going to be all liquids, whether that's going to be an invitation from the Lord to do all water, or whether the Lord is going to ask you to break it up over the course of 40 days and do a variety of things. Well, well, well I don't understand. What do you mean? 10 days sun up, sun down, 10 days Daniel, 10 days liquid, 10 days water. 21 Daniel, 19 liquid. 20 days sun up to sun down, 20 days Daniel. 20 days, one meal a day, 20 days, two meals a day. There are so 
many things that you can do in order to participate when the Lord is tugging upon our hearts and inviting us to invest ourselves in this season in a united effort in order to turn the tide of darkness and corruption to see the absolute overturning of the devil's desires in our nation and throughout the nations. And so I'm asking you, um, I'm asking you, will you join us? Will you join us for the next 40 days? Again, everybody can do something. That's not confrontational. That's not manipulative. I understand health concerns. I understand physical conditions. I understand workloads and medicine. And I understand all of these things. But everyone can do something. Cut out dessert for 40 days. Do away with coffee. Man, that would sting so bad for the next 40 days. Me and coffee, we got a good thing going on. Everybody can do something. Cut out candies and treats. Pick one particular food item and set it to the side. Fasting is about food. As a definition, fasting is an abstaining from food or particular foods especially when being expressed as a religious devotion. Fasting is about food. And I'm emphasizing this because it's important. Fasting is not about entertainment. Fasting is not about sports. Fasting is not about social media. Can you technically discipline your life in order to control these other areas that may be out of control and you need to tighten up in and regain control in? Yes, but we must understand that even though fasting is a discipline, not all matters of discipline should be considered a fast. If you need to discipline your life and turn the TV off, if you need to discipline your life and get away from Netflix, if you need to discipline your life and stop gaming as much as you do, if you need to discipline your life and stop the scrolling and put the phone away, then let's actually call it what it is and call it discipline. And let's not consider that we're fasting these things because if the enemy can rob you from the authenticity of the invitation and the authentic invitation is directly anchored into food, I promise you, you are not going to sound the alarm in your own heart by turning off the television the same way that you will when you push away from the table. Join us, burningones.org forward slash join the fast. And again, these 40 days are leading up to a convocation, a holy assembly, where we're going to gather in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Those of you that live in America and maybe even throughout the nations, you understand that right now, Milwaukee, Kenosha, Wisconsin has national attention. It has become a hot spot. The enemy understands the times. He recognizes things on a national landscape. He may not be able to necessarily pinpoint all of God's desires, but he recognizes times and seasons. Pharaoh understood that there was a deliverer coming. Herod understood that there was a deliverer coming. And they attempted a purging. They attempted to create conflict. 
they attempted to wield hostility in a particular window of time and occupy demonic desires in a season in order to try and derail what it was that God was about to deliver into the earth. I believe that we are on the verge of a beautiful and powerful unveiling of Jesus. Because God's answer to every issue is to show us his son. We are going to be gathering in Milwaukee, October 15, 16, and 17. A holy assembly. We're fasting and praying. We're worshiping and declaring the word of the Lord. And I'm going to ask you to come and join us. Whatever you have to do to get there, if you feel like the Lord is speaking to you, come and join us. We are gathering. There are flights that are flying. There are hotels that are open. There are a variety of other things. You can drive. You can stay with friends. I understand there are a lot of different ways that this could happen over those days, but I am asking you to come and join us. Come and be present with us. October 15, 16, and 17. You can jump on our website. You can register on our app, burningones.org forward slash conference. And you can register. There's no cost. There's no hidden fee. This isn't, we're going to pull the rug out at some point. There's no cost. It's a free event. It is an experience that we are making available with no cost whatsoever. All you have to do is get there in order to join us. But you have to register. We have a limited seating. And we want to be able to steward well the venue that we're going to be gathering in. World Impact Ministries in the Milwaukee, Wisconsin area. David and Beverly Rayfeld, some beautiful Jesus lovers are leading a work there with a family on the ground. World Impact Ministries. In just a moment, we're going to show a promo video. And then I will mention once again how you can register in order to save your spot or in order to save many spots for those that you may bring with you. But let's take a moment and let's watch this video. We're right in the middle of a critical window in our history. Has the urgency of the hour hit your heart yet? When you look around and you see the pain, when you see the suffering, when you see the rioting and the desperation that has filled the streets, has it actually gotten your attention? To begin 2019, our team began hosting gatherings, holy assemblies, convocations with the heart of Joel chapter 2 feeling from the Lord that it was time, it was necessary to rally the church, a body, a remnant in the land that would place all of their attention upon Jesus as king and begin to lift their voice, consecrated lovers crying out on behalf of the hour in the land. But last year, the circumstances didn't match the urgency. But does God have your attention? Has the urgency actually hit your heart? Because now in 2020, the circumstances match the urgency. The critical hour, the window that we are standing in as a people requires a response. Can you hear the call from the Lord to empty all of the distractions, to fix your face upon the King, and to empty your heart before Him, that He might shake our nation and glorify Himself in the midst of this people? The convocations will continue. Will you come and join us?
Once again, burningones.org slash conference. If you have our app, just click the convocation tab there. You can go ahead and register again at no cost. Bring people with you. I think you understand the urgency of the hour and the critical window that we are all living in. Again, unprecedented times call for an unprecedented response. We want to be responsive to the Lord and not simply just reactionary to the cultural issues or circumstances, the uprisings of the natural fleshly warfare and entanglements, uh, all of the demonic desires. We are not responsive necessarily first and foremost or primary to these things, but our hearts are tender and we're sensitive to the Lord. And the Lord is calling us in this hour to gather. The Lord is calling us in this hour to intercede. Join us, burningones.org slash conference. Once again, if you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to open it with me to Daniel chapter 6. I'm trying to track with everybody uh, as you are possibly turning there. Um, I always start out this way, uh, and then this never actually works out well for me. But I'm trying to track with everybody just to stay up possibly with comments or questions. Daniel chapter 6, we're going to read a handful of verses, and then we're going to hop into it. As I said, when we opened, we have been in Daniel now for several weeks, and we've been taking a look at Daniel, not just as a person. We've been taking a look at Daniel, not just as a prophet. We've been taking a look at Daniel, not even necessarily as an individual in the scriptures who had a powerful, intimate, deep walk with the Lord. But we've been taking a look at Daniel as a prophetic glimpse of a people. We've been taking a look at Daniel as a picture of the church in the end times. Not just suffering through the rulers of the age, not just bowing under the tension of the hostility of the powers of the air, not just simply forfeiting its purpose or God's purposes in the earth throughout the nations because of powers and principalities and high ruling places in darkness in an unseen realm. But we have been taking a look at Daniel because I believe that Daniel provides us with an understanding. Daniel frames in for us, if we could say it that way, the way that we should interpret how we are to be responsible before the Lord as we are planted in the nations of the earth in the end of the age, thriving, thriving, planted in your city, in your nation, throughout the nations of the earth, not bowing, not forfeiting, not tucking and hiding, but thriving. Daniel gives us a prophetic picture of a powerful church in the last days. Daniel gives us a prophetic picture of a powerful people, even when planted in the midst of Babylon, even under wicked leadership, even with corrupt governmental structures, 
Even when the systems and the constructs of the world seem to be built against the desires of God, even when the context or the environment does not necessarily seem to be set up in a way to determine success for Daniel and his company or the people, the children of Israel, even in the midst of a corrupt culture, even when hostility seems to abound, even when adversity seems to rise. Daniel gives us a prophetic picture of the church at the end of the age, the church in the last days. And God said, I will pour out my spirit in those days. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit where? Upon all flesh. There will be a company. There will be a tribe There will be a family, a community in the earth, a church, a bride, a powerful people planted in the nations of the earth upon which God will pour out his spirit. And as he pours out his spirit upon a people, there will be dreamers, there will be visionaries, there will be prophets and those who prophesy. There will be powerful prophetic utterance and intersection. There will be signs and wonders. There will be glory in the midst for the angel of the Lord encamps round about those that fear him. And there'll be a wall of fire and there'll be glory in the midst. I think that we have to look to Daniel in these days so that we can adequately be able to perceive ourselves in the end of the age, in the last hour, in the final days, before the curtain call, before the coming of the king. We are living in the last days. And the last days doesn't mean that Jesus is coming back this afternoon, um, although he possibly could. I'm not saying that he is, and I'm not saying that he is because Jesus himself said, no man will actually know the day, the hour, or the time for the coming again. Only the father will be able to determine the time when he sends the son once again. And if Jesus says that no man will actually know, I don't want to claim to be the only man that will actually know what Jesus said that no man will actually know. Uh, So I'm going to, uh, we could say it this way, play it safe and say that no man is actually going to be able to determine the real time that Jesus is going to return. Uh, But we do understand the times and the seasons. And he said that there would be certain cultural conditions that would begin to awaken our attention, where we would begin looking once again to the skies, where we would begin to understand. He said, it shall be as in the days of Noah, the cultural conditioning. And there are certain indicators, there are certain things that he said would reference when our attention should be awakened. And I believe that Daniel provides for us a beautiful picture of how we are to posture ourselves in the earth in order to be faithful to the Lord in these days, according to the cultural conditioning that we find ourselves in. Daniel, right in the middle of the book of Daniel has a profound vision. And in this experience with God, he sees the reigning victorious 
son of man. He sees the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He sees the ancient of days seated at rest upon a throne. And he sees one coming riding upon the clouds that looks like the son of man. He's a divine human. He's human, but he's divine. We know this is Jesus. Glorified forever as a man on the other side of death. Conquering sin, defeating death in the grave, raising victorious by the power of the spirit out of hell itself, alive forever, glorified forever, resurrected from the dead, holding the keys and all authority being given unto him and now ascended into the heavens, riding upon the clouds, seated at the right hand of his father. It's important what Daniel sees because of what Daniel is going to experience. It's important what is unveiled, what is revealed to Daniel because of what is going to be released against Daniel. Daniel has to have a powerful understanding of who Jesus is. Daniel must be apprehended by a powerful understanding of the coming of the kingdom and all of what that means in an eternal sense because of what he is going to endure in an immediate sense. You see, if we don't understand the coming of the kingdom and what that means eternally, then we will in an immediate way possibly bow under pressure, bow under tension, attempt to fight for things that may give us an immediate sense of success and victory that do not necessarily serve eternal or ultimate purposes that God has for the coming of his kingdom. We can enter into worldly conversations. We can be gripped by worldly and fleshly entanglements. We can bow under the pressure of demonic desires and worldly implications, thinking that the position or the posture of our power or our success is found in worldly immediacy um, rather than being overcome by a vision of the age to come, rather than completely being overwhelmed by the beautiful revealing of the Son of Man and His coming kingdom, and all of the implications of such that radically affect the posturing of our lives, the positioning of us as a people in the nations of the earth, and the fulfilling of God's purposes in and through that people until, in an eternal way, he comes and reconciles all things as he has promised to do so. Daniel is living in a moment of tension, but God's answer for the tension is to reveal his son in a vision. Daniel is living in great hostility, but his answer for the hostility of the days that he is seeming to endure is a revealing 
of the coming kingdom and all of the implications of a vision of the son of man, a vision of King Jesus, a vision of the most beautiful powerful, authoritative man that has ever lived, that reigns forever at the right hand of the father, established upon a throne, the rightful ruler of the nations. God's answer to the tension is to reveal his son through that vision. And it's important for Daniel. There's a writing style uh, for Jewish people in an ancient consideration uh, and even possibly in a current context. But there is a writing style that if we understand the nature of the writing style, then we can, in a better way, apprehend the purpose of the writer as he is writing. And it is this. Um, it is interesting when you consider the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation chapter one, verse one opens with the unveiling or the revelation of Jesus Christ. The writer communicates the point of the book in the very beginning so that we can understand or that we can frame in what it is that is going to be communicated as we begin to journey into and through the book of Revelation. And if you do not understand the literary style, if you do not understand the writer's style as he is writing and the things that he is communicating, then it is very easy to get lost, to get wound up, to get sidetracked, to get distracted. Um, the book of Revelation, as we have said before, is not about beasts. It's not about the false prophet. It's not about the antichrist. It's not about the dragon. It's not about the harlot. It's not about unclean spirits. It's not about any of these things. The end of the age is not about the unveiling of these things. But if we do not understand the literary style, then we can easily get caught up in the whirlwind or get tossed to and fro with the current of the things that are being communicated, even though the things that are being communicated are not in and of themselves the ultimate point or thing that is being communicated. Um, in the writing style, it is the way to communicate where you introduce the point in the beginning. And then in the very center, you unpack, if you would, all of what is the main point, all of what is the main attraction, all of what is the center of attention. You unveil it, you unpack it, you communicate it with beauty, simplicity. You do it this way on purpose. And so in this literary style, you mention it in the beginning so that you can get an understanding of where we're going. And then in the very center, you hang your hat on the main point. And then once again, at the very end, you reference it again. So you have the point in the beginning, the main attraction in the center, and the point once again at the end. Um, it's important to understand this so that, obviously, with the book of Revelation, it is laid out beautifully this way. It is, in verse 1-1, one, one, the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is in the very center, all about the beauty of King Jesus, 
his kingdom that will be unending and his judgment against all of the rulers of the age and his reconciling of creation and sons and daughters, his companion that he eternally desired so that he entered into time and in an immediate way laid down his life, a people that he thought were to die for, that he is now possessed throughout the nations, redeemed, born again, every tribe, nation, and tongue. In the center of the book of Revelation, you have the unveiling of the whole point and purpose of the end of the age. And then once again, you wrap it up at the very end. In the center of the book of Daniel, we see this writing style. In chapter seven, Daniel is given a vision that is the point of it all. And in this vision, he sees the ancient of days seated on a throne and he sees the son of man. This is, this is King Jesus seated on a throne. He sees all authority, the right to issue all judgments given to the Son of Man. He sees a people exalted, glorified as a possession for the Son of Man in order to serve alongside him. This is the church. This is the bride that is being perfected, that is being fashioned, no spot, wrinkle, blemish throughout every generation until the point, Revelation 19, where the bride has gotten herself ready. And then Revelation 22, where the spirit and the bride in the final days, in the end times, in the climactic moment of all history, before this thing wraps up and the skies split and the son of man returns, the spirit and the bride will have one cry. There will be a united desire. There will be a union expressed through a people gripped and possessed by the spirit before the return of the king. Daniel sees in his vision the victory of the son of man. And it's important that he sees it and that it's crystal clear that it's etched in his heart that he has been branded with a vision of the age to come. Because in the days and times that Daniel is going to be a part of, there is going to be great tension. In the days that Daniel is living, and so it is for you and I, in the days that we are living, there is great tension. In the days that we are living, even as Paul communicates in Ephesians chapter 2, there was a time in all of our lives, listen to this, there is no middle ground. There was a time in all of our lives where we were bound by the spirit of the age, by the ruler of the powers of the air, by powers and principalities, the spirit of disobedience that is now ruling in the sons of disobedience. There was a time when all of us were living in this corruption and disobedience, but praise God through his loving kindness, through his tender mercy demonstrated to us through Jesus and the blood of Jesus. We have now been set apart. We have now been set free. We have now, through our faith in King Jesus, through our faith in the gospel, through our repentance and our allegiance to this wonderful King, we have been set free. We have been washed by the blood of the Lamb. We are alive 
to God. We are possessed now, not with the spirit of the age. We are possessed now with God's spirit and we are living faithfully in a way that honors Jesus as king, advances his kingdom, and readies the nations for his return. It's important that we understand, as Daniel did, that our king is victorious and that he reigns. It's important that our hearts are branded afresh with a vision of his coming kingdom, that we are possessed as a people with a vision of the age to come. Because in the age that we are living in right now, which is we are living under the tension of the two comings, if you would, of this wonderful King Jesus. In the first coming, he secured every promise that God has ever made. In his second coming, he will realize every promise that God ever made. And right now, there is an understanding that the devil and all of his rebellious companions, again, powers, principalities, the rulers of the age, the spirit of hostility that is being wielded through the powers of the air, there is a very real understanding that they are living in the tension of a certain time period that they have been allowed to remain until this wonderful king returns and realizes through the issuing of judgments that will be eternal and his kingdom will be unending that right now they are living under the tension of not having much time left. First Corinthians two tells us that the rulers of the age, had they known what they were actually doing, when they nailed Jesus to the cross and he was crucified. Had they actually known what they were doing, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But now, through the crucifixion, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus, the rulers of the age understand that they are working on a specific timetable. Because when the king returns, he will eternally judge them. He will eternally dismantle deconstruct and do away with them and their punishment will be fully realized in an eternal sense and when the king returns his kingdom will come with him and he will establish his kingdom and it will be unending that means eternal on the other side of our final breath whenever time wraps up that climactic moment when we cross over whether raised from the dead or whether alive at the moment of his appearing we will enter into the experience of eternity and we will be glorified forever alongside of this beautiful man alive forever king jesus but it's important that we understand the tension of the days that we're living in so that we can posture ourselves correctly. We're living under the tension where in these days, there are two things happening simultaneously. There is the fulfillment of God's purposes, the advancing of the kingdom and the soon coming of the king. So God's desires 
are developing and being fulfilled throughout the nations of the earth as we are pressing into simultaneously God's desires are pressing into the experience of time as we know it. That is happening. Nothing can deny it. Nothing can derail it. Nothing can get rid of it. There's no devil in hell that can completely derail what it is that God is currently doing and will continue doing throughout the nations of the earth as time itself is leaning towards the fulfillment of all time and the end of the age. That is happening. But simultaneously, because that is happening, there is the understanding of the rulers of the age that as time is pressing into the end of time, the rulers of the age do not have much time remaining. And so as time is coming towards a close, again, whether that's one hour, whether that's a hundred years from now, it is true, whether it's this afternoon or whether it's 3015, it is true true and it is currently happening time is pressing towards a close and the rulers of the age understand and so as our attention is being awakened to what god is doing and as we are discerning times and seasons the rulers of the age understand and so in our season of life there are two things again two things happening i've already described the first the second is there's an escalation there's an escalation of demonic disruption. Because again, the enemy cannot stop what God is doing. But he can attempt to derail in the hearts of people the desire to repent and put their faith in the gospel. The enemy understands that there is a moment coming when the king returns that they, they, again, the enemy and his rebellious companions, powers, principalities, rulers of the age, there is coming a moment where they will be eternally judged and it will be eternal, meaning unending. There will be no undoing to the eternal implications of the king returning. No undoing. The enemy understands. And so this demonic escalation is to create hostility throughout the nations in order to disrupt the desire for sons and daughters to repent and put their faith in the gospel. If I am going, according to the enemy's perspective, if I am going to be punished, if I am going to be judged, then I do not want to go alone. If I can't stop what God is doing, then I'll try to stop what he's doing in the hearts of people. And it's important that we understand that simultaneously, God's desires are being fulfilled his purposes are being fulfilled. The kingdom is advancing. The gospel is being announced. The nations are being readied in order for the return of the king. That is happening. But simultaneously, there is an escalation of demonic disruption in an attempt in the end of the age to derail many that would desire to put their faith in the gospel. There is a attempt to veil our eyes and our hearts where we would not anchor deeply our lives into Jesus as king. And it's important that Daniel sees what he sees. Because when he sees what he sees, he understands how to posture himself. When he sees what is ultimate, he understands how to position himself in the midst of something that is immediate. 
Again, we don't look for our power and our purpose in the immediate entangling of affairs according to the fleshly natural life. We find our sense of power and purpose in what it is that we know that has been revealed to us that is ultimate. Because what is ultimate eclipses the seasonal shift and the swings and tides of culture and issues. What is ultimate eclipses that which is immediate, but it should infuse us with a sense of power and purpose in order to posture ourselves with the correct perspective. And Daniel has to see what he sees so that he can posture himself and understand the way that he should pray. Um, because until we understand what is ultimate, we can get very consumed, especially in the place of prayer, with things that are immediate. Consider it this way. When Jesus understood that he was going to be crucified, um, his prayer wasn't something just to offload the pressure of the season that he was in. His prayer wasn't consumed with or informed by just the personal agenda that he could have created that would have seemed to present himself with the best package or unique benefits in the days that he was living. He was overwhelmed by his father's will. He said, I delight to do your will. I didn't come to do my own will, but I came to fulfill the will of he who sent me. He said, don't you understand that the work that I've been given to do doesn't even belong to me, but it's been given to me by my father. He said, I know that you see me right here, right now. And I understand that I've come from him, that I've been given all authority by him and that there's coming a moment when I'm going to return to him. But I didn't just come to do my own thing. I didn't just come to try to flex my muscles and wield my power and do things that would be my own advantage. He said, I understand that I've been given the power to lay my life down and also the power to pick it back up. But in the garden, he said, man, there's a lot of things that I could make happen right now. But if this is the cup that I have to drink, then not my will be done, but your will. Because I want what you want. And I want to see your will fulfilled. And when he told them how to pray, he didn't just tell them to smash heaven until all the pressure came off their life. He told them, when you pray, pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Daniel is granted a vision of God's will for the coming of the kingdom, for the possessing of a people, for the issuing of judgments against the rulers of the age, and for the reconciling of all creation that right now is currently groaning because of the corruption of sin and the brokenness that has permeated our experience Daniel was granted a vision of a victorious king and the coming of that victorious kingdom. Why? Because he was going to be planted in the midst of 
an age that was filled with great tension. But even as you track throughout the book of Daniel, you understand that the kings that Daniel is planted under to serve under and alongside, they all experience a form of judgment in their life while Daniel is postured, especially in the place of prayer and consecration, fasted and consecration, prayer and consecration, devotion to God. All of the kings experience a unique form of judgment while Daniel is planted in the midst of a kingdom that they think belongs to them. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, actually turns into a form of beast and is judged. Belshazzar at a feast while he thinks he can make a mockery of the things of God. Nebuchadnezzar is judged for an infatuation with his own power, his own influence, his own quote unquote glory that he so well believes in that he thinks he deserves. And even though it is prophesied, you have an opportunity to repent. Nebuchadnezzar is committed to his own corruption. Um, so much so that he establishes a monument to himself, a statue, an image. Uh, and we're not going to get into the image and the sound. Um, but, but that may be for another day in front of us. Um, but Nebuchadnezzar is committed to the imagery and the sound. And he's committed to wielding, if you would, a sense of power through the air. When you see it, when you hear it, bow down and worship. And Nebuchadnezzar is judged. Nebuchadnezzar is judged. Belshazzar is judged for making a mockery of the things of God. Belshazzar is having a feast and he's making a mockery of the things of God and a hand manifests. Nebuchadnezzar is judged and he turns into a beast. Coincidence, Daniel sees in his vision the beasts that are permitted to rule the earth, the rulers of the age. Daniel sees in his vision four different beasts that are permitted to rule, that have jurisdiction, powers, principalities, rulers of the age, the beasts that roam the earth, wielding hostility and corruption. Daniel sees these beasts in a vision. Nebuchadnezzar, when he is judged, literally manifests and turns into a beast, yet a beast that is judged. Belshazzar is having a good old time, feasting, making a mockery of the things of God. And a hand manifests. You've been weighed. You've been hung in the balance. And you've been found lacking. And you've been judged. Darius is an interesting one. He puts Daniel in the lion's den. And is judged for his actions. And I know that you might think that I forgot that we were at some point going to look at Daniel chapter 6. But this is where we are with King Darius. Because again, Daniel is living under the tension of wicked kings. A physical manifestation of what had been revealed to him in the vision that God branded him with of a reigning king 
of a victorious kingdom and a soon coming where God would fulfill every promise that he ever made. It is important to understand that the power of our gospel is not only for times of luxury and comfort. But Daniel gets a clear vision of the power of the gospel in the midst of adversity and hostility. We have to understand that we are a victorious people, not only when times are good, when there's no pain, when there's no suffering, when all of the pressure in whatever variety of ways we would like to imagine in the experience of our life has been completely offloaded, but in the midst of, through the tension of, under wickedness and corruption, even when it's being wielded through demonic rulers and leaders, Daniel gets a vision because Daniel is living in moments of great adversity. There's real tension in the days that Daniel is living. Daniel ends up getting arrested and thrown into the lion's den. Why? Let's look at it for ourselves in Daniel chapter 6. Let's pick it up with verse 3. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and the satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. And the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Daniel has now lasted through multiple kings. Multiple kings have come and gone. Multiple wicked rulers have come and been judged. And they are no longer around. They are dead and gone. They are no longer even in a place of power, authority. They no longer remain. But Daniel, in a beautiful way, is still thriving. Daniel in a beautiful way, is still a powerful person in a corrupt culture. Daniel, in a beautiful way, is still bearing authority for the kingdom, is still advancing God's desires, is still fulfilling God's purposes. Daniel is still fashioned according to a life of devotion. He's fasting. He's praying. There's a revelatory realm. There's been visions and dreams and visitors and visitations. Daniel is thriving. He's thriving. There's no way that you can get around this. Daniel is thriving in a situation that most of us would have tried to run from, avoid, or at least seek to pray off of our life for sure. But here Daniel is. And then they attempted to begin trying to find grounds of accusation against Daniel in regard to governmental affairs. But they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful and there was no negligence, no corruption was to be found in him. Then these men said to themselves um, that this is a corrupt political and governmental accusation. This is a corrupt governmental and political, uh, let's say, weapon that is being formed against Daniel, particularly as an individual. Then these men said, we're not going to find anything against him unless we find it against him in regard to the law of his God. 
they had to outlaw his faithfulness. The only thing that they could find against him, there was no corruption, there was no negligence. He possessed an extraordinary spirit. He was upright in his conduct. He was pure in all of his interaction. They sought to bring accusation against him through a thorough investigation of all of the matters pertaining to his life, and they could find absolutely nothing to hold against him. And so they thought to themselves, we're going to take his faithfulness to God, and we're going to make it a crime. We're going to take his devotion to his king, and we're going to make it illegal. And then the commissioners and the satraps came by agreement to the king, and they spoke to him as follows. King Darius, live forever. And all the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and satraps, the high officials and the governors, they consulted together, and we've decided that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition, this is the place of prayer, anyone who prays to any god or man besides you, O king, for the next 30 days, the importance of a 30-day window, that you should establish an injunction that anyone who prays to any man or king other than you over the next 30 days should be shut away in the lion's den. And we think that you should sign the document that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. And therefore, King Darius signed the document. That is the injunction. Here's the beautiful point. Now, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he took it to the house. That's not what it actually says. He entered his house. Now, in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God, as he had been doing previously. And then the men came, and they arrested him. They took him to the king, and they threw him into the lion's den. Daniel counted a cost that was attached to his faithful devotion to his king. And there were certain things that became illegal in their culture that Daniel refused to make illegal in his own heart because of the vision of his king's kingdom that he had been branded by. When we are branded, when our hearts have been branded with a vision of our king's kingdom, we are no longer bound by the immediate cultural restraints. You can make certain things illegal in the culture, but they will never become illegal in my heart and vice versa. The point is, 
Daniel understood the implications of his life of devotion and he counted the cost and he continued to go all in with his king and his kingdom even when there was the consideration in an immediate sense that it would create a violation of the cultural issues and implications. Daniel was not going to forfeit things that he knew were a part of life in his kingdom even when in an immediate sense there was a corrupt king and his kingdom that was trying to create a violation against his devotion um and i would ask you when daniel understood that times were getting serious when daniel knew that certain laws were being written into public experience when daniel caught word that it was now going to be a crime, a crime. This wasn't just pretend. It wasn't just like, hey, yeah, I know they said that it was gonna be illegal, but ain't nobody really finna do nothing about it. So man, I'm just gonna take it to the house anyways, and I'm just gonna keep doing me. Like when Daniel understood the implications of his devotion, he did not simply forfeit all of his faithfulness and the life of consecration that he knew that God had called him to. There was something that God had fashioned into his lifestyle. They evaluated him. They did a thorough investigation. And they said, if there's going to be something that we hold against him, it's going to have to be the law of his God. Because Daniel had the law of his God branded upon his heart and it affected the practical activities of his life. And when they evaluated his life, they said, if we are going to be able to get him, we are going to have to attack him in the place of his convictions. Uh, This is where the rubber hits the road. We're not talking about convenience. We're talking about convictions. Um, You see, a lot of us, we can get riled up about stuff. We can seem real passionate about stuff. Um, We can give voice to things. We can try to, let's say, create influence in things. But at the end of the day, a conviction is only something that you're going to be willing to die for. A conviction is only something that you're going to be willing to die for. And Daniel understands there are certain things that I am willing to die for. There are certain things that I'm willing to lay down my life for. And this isn't just empty, hollow articulation. They actually break into his house, arrest him, take him before the king, and throw him into the lion's den. This is not just talk. He is going to have to walk this out. Um, but he's talking the talk, and he walks the walk. But there is something that we need to take note of in Daniel's life, especially as we are on the verge of entering into these next 40 days. They wrote an injunction that there was a particular 30-day period that they wanted to make sure that no one was going to be able to pray to Daniel's God. They wanted to make sure that Daniel was not able to lift his voice in prayer to his God in a specific 30-day window. They went as far as making it illegal in in the cultural experience. It was a public policy. We are going to make it illegal for the next 30 days, especially for you. A public policy that was written 
as an attack against a single person. What was it about Daniel's voice that they recognized was so powerful when he lifted it in prayer that they wanted to affect the entirety of the culture to create an attack against an individual, against one person. We're going to make it illegal for everybody because we definitely want to make it illegal for somebody. One person in the place of prayer was so powerful according to their investigation that they did whatever they could. They did whatever they could in order to make sure that Daniel couldn't pray. I'm telling you, we are standing in a critical moment. We are in the midst of a very urgent hour. There is much that hangs in the balance over these next 40 days. And I am telling you that there is a lot, there is a lot that demonic disruption will allow you to participate in. But in this next window, in this next season, there is going to be a vigilant attack against us as a people as we seek to enter into the place of prayer. When Daniel heard about what was happening out in public, he took it to the house and he went into the secret place. And it says, just as he had been doing. Again, this wasn't just to be responsive to culture. This wasn't just to be responsive primarily to demonic desire and disruption. This wasn't just to be responsive to issues and to the social climate and to all of the adversity that was happening out in a public arena or in a public forum. Daniel was not only being responsive to these things primarily, it says he did what he had been doing. He continued in his life of devotion and consecration just as he had been doing. But Daniel went. And he prayed. Um, I would submit to you that there is nothing, nothing as important as the place of prayer over these next 40 days. We are going to fast and pray. We are going to fast and pray. Daniel was an intercessor. Daniel's life was shaped it was set up. He had devoted times. The, the scriptures are communicating some beautiful points to us. He prayed three times a day. He had an upper room. There was a higher place. There was a higher vantage point. There was a window that he had opened toward Jerusalem. There was a commitment in the place of prayer that Daniel's life was shaped by. He had cultivated a life of consecration and a faithful devotion in fasting and praying to his king, to his God, and the coming of that kingdom. Daniel was an intercessor. And in this next season... The victory is going to be determined by the intercessors. It's time for us to take it to the secret place. It's time for us to get up to a higher place. That's what Habakkuk says. I'm going to climb up to a higher place. I need a different vantage point. I'm going to settle in upon the watchtower. I'm going to anchor deep in the place of intercession. 
and I'm going to wait to see what it is that he will say. Because there's a lot of disturbance happening down here. There's a lot of tension that is filling the public forum down here. There's a lot of adversity and hostility that's being wielded through the powers of the air down here. But I'm not primarily responsive to this. I want my heart to be sensitive to my king and his kingdom. I want my heart to be gripped by, overcome by a vision, an unveiling of the beauty of this king and his coming kingdom. God's solution to the tension that we're experiencing in the days that we are living is to beautifully unveil his son to us. You've got problems? Look at Jesus. There's issues? Look at my son. You're dealing with hostility and pain and pressure? Let me unveil the beauty of his majesty to you. There's all types of corruption in society. There's sin and wickedness and evil that's being embraced and endorsed. Look at Jesus. And it's not just look at Jesus as if he's some kind of Christian mascot. It's not just look at Jesus as if he's the icon of Christianity and in some weird manufactured way, we're just going to dangle him out in front of culture and believe that he's some kind of trinket or fetish and everybody should just bow whenever we do what Nebuchadnezzar did. He's not a corrupt image but he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And it's important that we are able to behold him because until we are able to behold him, we will not faithfully posture ourselves in the nations the way that we are supposed to. Until we are able to faithfully behold him, we will not understand how it is that we are to faithfully fulfill all of God's purposes throughout the nations. Until we are able to behold him, we will not understand the implications of his kingdom and what is ultimate as it is giving us our purpose as we interact with what is immediate. We must be able to behold him because God's solution is to unveil him and he unveiled the beauty of this kingdom he unveiled the beauty of this king to Daniel and this is where Daniel found his purpose in the place of prayer this is where Daniel found his posturing in Babylon this is where Daniel found his prophetic understanding of the times that he was living in and the tension that he was living under. Daniel understood who he was and where he was in a vision of who and what King Jesus is. May King Jesus faithfully brand our hearts in this season of prayer where we understand your kingdom come, your will be done, is not some prayer that we pray so that we can better enter into our American entitlements. 
your kingdom come, your will be done, is not just some sound that we lift so that all of our comforts can be restored. It's not just so that all of our entertainment and the things that we luxuriously like to enjoy can be resurrected. Your kingdom come, your will be done, is God's will. It is his plan in order to reconcile all of creation and the nations. It is his desire to possess a people and to faithfully present them to the son that he loves. It is his plan for the end of the age and the issuing of the judgments against the rulers of the age and all powers and principalities. Um, your kingdom come, your will be done. Jesus said, pray it this way. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Jesus said, you want to know how to pray? Pray this. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Paul told the Colossians, I've desired to pray one thing since I've heard about you, that you be filled with the knowledge of God's will. I am believing that as we enter into these next 40 days in the place of prayer, that there is much that hangs in the balance. There is much that is to be won or lost according to the intercessors. And may we take up the faithful place of devotion May we enter into the faithful place of consecration and may we with all of what we have to invest, may we pray what Jesus said to pray. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come and your will be done in the earth as it is in the heavens. May the Holy Ghost beautifully unveil the power of this king and his kingdom to us. And may we be so possessed by a vision of the age to come that it creates the right perspective, that it creates the right posture as we thrive under the tension of the hostility of the powers of the air, announcing the gospel, readying the nations, because this king will return. This king will return. And just as Daniel did, thriving in Babylon, may we thrive throughout the nations. It didn't matter to Daniel if Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Darius, Cyrus was king. Our hope is not in who is the current ruler in the land. Our hope is not in the governmental structure being set up to favor us. Our hope is not even that public policy would condition itself in order for our faithfulness to God to be favored. Our hope is in a vision of the age to come and the reality of this king and his kingdom being real in our hearts right now because he has secured it. He has secured it. And there is coming a moment where he will come and fully realize it. And until then, may we live faithfully now as ambassadors of this kingdom. May we live honoring now to this king and his kingdom. And may our lives be fashioned 
in loving devotion and consecration to fulfill God's purposes and to see his kingdom advanced throughout the nations as we ready our lives in the tension of time for the coming of this amazing king. Thank you, King Jesus, for what you're doing. And thank you that we are a part of it. Thank you that it is so real right now, even though we're living or we're living in the tension of not yet. It is right now and it is not yet, but it is oh so real right now and it is advancing and we are thriving in the midst of it and we are fulfilling your desires. We are a part of your purposes and may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And may we be a people who honor you and faithfully live for you. May you be glorified in your people by life or by death. And may we give ourselves in consecration to the place of prayer over these next 40 days to see your purposes realized. And may you be exalted and glorified throughout the nations as the rightful ruler and king. There's nobody like you, King Jesus. And we, your people, love you with all of our hearts. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We pray that it has fanned into flame the love that you have for him. If you would like more information about Burning Ones, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on social media, visit our website, burningones.org, or download our app.